no, no. Well, good morning. If you're new, I'm Father Michael White, the pastor. We're glad you're here. If you are new, we'd love to meet you. If you're joining us online, you can text the word welcome to the number on your screen. If you're here in our sanctuary, we invite you to join us at our welcome center out on the concourse after mass. Either way, we have someone to greet you and something to give you. Last week, I was happy to report that we were able to make a significant contribution to Catholic Relief Services to support earthquake recovery and relief in Haiti. Since then, I've received a number of questions prompting me to additionally announce that we'll also be supporting CRS with Hurricane Ida recovery and Afghan refugee resettlement, as well as support locally for those families displaced by a tragic fire in West Baltimore last week. In the face of all this suffering and sadness, near and far, I am so happy, proud in fact, that we're able to provide this support from our existing mission fund that we've built up over the years, reserving a portion of your offering every year for just such emergencies and eventualities. So many thanks and congratulations. Your past giving has already made possible all of this critical support and relief aid. We're in the sixth and final week of our current series. If you've missed any or all of this series or you'd like to share messages with friends, you can find them online, on demand, of course, on our website. We've been taking a look at the mission we share with the Lord and receive from the Lord. We say it like this, seek and save the lost. If you've been around here any amount of time, you know we talk about that all the time. It's also the motivation behind so much of what we do. We built this building. We pour effort and resources into music, message, and ministers. We invest in staff and technology, faculty, uh, facilities, and infrastructure, all for the purpose of reaching out to people who do not have a relationship with Christ and his church. In order to effectively, successfully, and efficiently seek and save the lost, we invest and invite. Also a phrase we use a lot around here. We invest in people far from God, and then when the opportunity arises, and it always does, we simply invite them into our weekend environments for adults, kids, and students. We make that invitation because we believe it is exactly precisely in these environments that we can make the most effective, the most compelling case for Christ. To help remind us of this purpose of our parish, in the course of this series, we've been taking a look at the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel. In that chapter, Jesus tells three parables or stories about something lost that was found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. In fact, we've been taking a long look at that one, the story of the lost or so-called prodigal son. A man had two sons. The younger son demands his inheritance, an astounding demand, which the father agrees to. 
an astounding response. And the son then proceeds to squander it all on riotous, ruinous living. Last week, we looked at the other son, the older son, and his different kind of rebellion against the father. He is self-righteous. And as we noted, both attitudes of both brothers are equally wrong, but they're not equally dangerous. The younger son's willfulness takes him away from the father's house. The older brother's righteousness keeps him out of the father's house. Well, as we wrap up this series today, we're going to take a look at the father and his response to the older son. Just to set the scene, the younger brother has come home out of contrition fueled by desperation, and the father throws a huge party to celebrate. But not everybody is in the mood to celebrate. The older brother becomes angry, and when he refuses to enter the house, the father came out and pleaded with him. He refuses to enter his father's house or join his father's party. As we mentioned last week, that in itself shows an utter disrespect for the father. And in many ways, it's worse than the younger son because the older son's disrespect and disobedience unfolds in full display of the father's guests. The assembled guests, entertainers, hangers-on, would have observed in stunned silence as the father left the party to go out to his son. Probably, perhaps, they they followed to hear the exchange between father and son. What they would have expected to see and hear was a rebuke and reprimand, followed by swift punishment. Someone of this man's means and, and stature in that time and place would have had servants to enforce his will and punish the disobedient son, which also would have been on full display for everybody to see. But that is not, it is not the picture of the father that Jesus describes. Instead, he describes a completely different kind of fatherhood. By the way, for those of you who struggle with the idea of the fatherhood of God, or even calling God your father, consider carefully this parable. Maybe more than any of the other parables, this parable can help us begin to appreciate the true heart of our heavenly father. Nonetheless, the older son is having none of it. He said to his father and replied, look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returned, you swaddled up your property with prostitutes. For him, you slaughtered the fattened calf. So even though the father humbles himself, even though he would have been within his rights to punish his son, and even though he does not, the older son continues to demonstrate an escalating disrespect. What is especially unfortunate, what is especially pathetic about the older son's complaint regarding his years of servitude is that the father, by his actions throughout the party, has made it clear he doesn't want this kind of servitude. It's not the relationship that he seeks with either of his sons. Think about it. 
One of the first things we learn in the story is that the father divided the estate between the two sons. In other words, the father's already given this guy his share of the estate. No master would have passed on an inheritance to a servant. No master would have humiliated himself in front of a slave. And no slave would have dared talk this way to a master. The father never treated his son like a servant. It was the older son who put that mantle on himself. And there is more. The father has just demonstrated for the older son the same self-giving love that he demonstrated previously for the younger son. And yet, and yet, the older son essentially accuses his father of not loving him. That's the ultimate weapon that kids use against parents, don't they? You don't love me. Even with this insult, the father doesn't take offense. Doubtless, he was deeply hurt, but he doesn't take offense. Instead, he said to him, my son, my son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. Despite the disrespect, the recrimination, the anger, the hostility expressed by the son, the father responds with nothing but love. He's, he says, my son. While the older son uses pronouns that distance himself from family and father, he says, your son, your property. Other, the, the, the father says instead, my son. Other translations suggest my beloved son. Effectively saying, I'm not holding out on you. Everything that was here was always already at your disposal. While you have been with me, you could have made use of anything you wanted to. But right now, we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. He was lost and was found. This plea from the father is particularly amazing and actually quite touching when we remember who Jesus is talking to. He's addressing the religious leaders who are preparing to hand him over to the Roman authorities to be executed. He's talking to the very guys who have opposed him and his ministry time and again from the beginning and now intend to destroy him. In the story, the older brother receives not a deserved condemnation, but a loving invitation, a heartfelt plea, really, to turn from his anger and self-righteousness. Through the story, Jesus is actually pleading in love with his deadliest enemies. He's not a Pharisee to the Pharisees. He's not self-righteous about self-righteousness. He responds in love. And here, the parable doesn't so much come to a conclusion as stop. It just ends abruptly. It's left unfinished. Because the audience, like the older son, is left with a choice to be made. He's giving the Pharisees one last choice. Will they accept the good news of the gospel? Will they accept and embrace the radical idea that God's love and mercy is for all people, including people who don't deserve it, like lost people? Or 
will they stubbornly stand in their self-righteousness. The Pharisees believed, like the older son, that their sacrifice and service to the law won them justification and righteousness before God. They earned it. They deserve it. And Jesus says to them through this parable, first of all, everything you have and can do is from God, even your very ability to do it. It's all grace and favor from the Father. Second, God doesn't want servants and slaves. He wants sons and daughters. He wants sons and daughters who love him, relate to him as loving father and are willing to work with him when it comes to what's most important to him, lost people. The story leaves the Pharisees with a question, will they repent? And we know from history that most did not. But the point is, the same choice is given to us. Repentance sounds like a church word. Sounds like a churchy church kind of word. But it's actually a very simple concept. It's about a change of heart. A change of heart that leads to a change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. And if we're growing as disciples, we repeat that process over and over and over again. We repent by coming here, by joining this celebration each weekend at Mass. We gather in fellowship. We acknowledge our sin. We celebrate God's glory and our need for grace. We receive that grace in word and sacrament. And then, leaving with a renewed sense of concern for all the Father's children, who aren't here. We repent by sharing in the joy of the Father when his lost sons and daughters return home. Over the course of this series, we've been encouraging you to take responsibility for people who are not your responsibility, but who are disconnected to Christ and his church. And probably at no time in our experience are there more people disconnected to Christ and his church. Even many people who pre-COVID were never miss a Sunday kind of Catholics are gone. Take a look around. They're not here. And they're not necessarily or at least automatically coming back. But we have an important opportunity close at hand to do something about that. One of our favorite weekends of the year is kickoff weekend next weekend, September 11th and 12th. It's the perfect time to invite someone you know who doesn't have a church to join us here at our church, online or in person. If you need some help with ideas on how to easily and effectively make an invitation, check out our Nativity Facebook and Instagram pages and keep checking them out all week because every day this week we'll be posting creative and fun new ways to make that invitation. If you'll make the invitation, we promise to deliver. We promise to deliver a relevant and inspiring message 
Outstanding new music that we're really excited about. Amazing kids and student programs all back in session and in full swing in our newly renovated theater, if we can get it finished by the end of the week. And a few surprises to amuse and delight you too. Use kickoff weekend as a perfect weekend to introduce or reintroduce someone to their father's house. Let's stand and pray together before we leave. God, our Father, we rejoice to be called your sons and daughters. Help us lead those who are far from you back home to you. In all things and through all things, may we serve you by serving one another. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.